Good morning, everybody. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we ask this morning as we think seriously and closely about death that you would show us the reality of life without you. And we ask this that we would then see the reality of life life that you alone give and that you alone can give and we ask this father that we might truly ourselves come alive and we ask it in jesus name amen could you pass me that prayer book please joe thank you when i was uh, a young lad i found myself uh, in perhaps the enviable position of dating quite a gorgeous bombshell of a girl uh, very much punching above my weight, and I knew it. And so I, I, I deployed the secret weapon, uh, at least what Hollywood would have me believe was the secret weapon, and, uh, and I made sure that I regularly brought her flowers. I, I understood this was what you did. You, you bring flowers, you win, right? That, that's what Hollywood has taught me. And, uh, and, and thankfully, close to where I worked in Padstow, there was a florist... That was exactly what young David needed. Uh, Reevesby, I don't even, who knows if it's still there, we're going back a while now, but uh, she, she combined into the one florist the two things that I needed. She had taste and she was cheap. Brilliant, right? For a young me working part-time, I could go and just wander in and go, I'll take any of them basically and I knew they'd be good she'd, she'd create these um, kind of floral arrangements you know where you where you put the things in the box with the leaves and the, I don't know right clearly I needed her sense of taste but they were also cheap they were like 20 bucks for, for you know like one of those everywhere else would cost you an arm and a leg and so it meant that routinely I could arrive at the door with flowers I think it really did work. It got me a lot of brownie points. It got me a little bit of trouble with my, my mother-in-law. That's, that's a story for another day. Um, she just never got flowers. But, uh, but, but with, with this particular young lady, it, uh, it was brilliant. You know what? I never thought, though, to arrive at the door with dead flowers. That wouldn't have been particularly romantic, would it? I mean, you know, all cut flowers end up as dead flowers. The leaves dry out, wither, the flowers fade, the colours go, the petals fall off, you know, the water that you've got in the vase turns that brownie kind of uh, colour, the, the glorious aroma turns into stench. It never occurred to me, actually, to arrive at the door and say, here you go, lovely, this is for you. I mean, it wouldn't have worked, would it? But you know what? It also never occurred to young David the truth about cut flowers. It's a truth that we have to understand if we're going to understand today's passage. There is a point to this story. We're getting there. Here's the truth about cut flowers. They're all dead. The flower died the moment it was cut. Our problem is we don't understand death. We look at these flowers and, well, we think to ourselves, but, but just, just look at it. I mean, just look at this glorious thing. It's still full of 
beauty and wonder. I mean, look at the colours, they're vibrant. It's even moving for crying out loud. Of course it's still alive, right? It's opening and flourishing and it's at the prime of its life and its beauty and we think, but it's still alive. But it's already dead. It has no life in itself. It has no ability to extend its days to somehow be something other than it is. It's not that it's dying, it's already dead. And we're really just waiting for the decay to take hold. Now why does that matter? Why when we come to Ephesians 2 do we have to understand cut flowers? <laughs> well it matters because the Bible says that humanity each individual person, you and me, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ we are cut flowers. We are already every one of us dead. Not, not dying, not that, you know, one day it's coming in the future. No, without Jesus, we are already dead. We're, we're still moving. We, we still have that, for some of us who are young enough, a, a glory to come, right? You hit your 21st and you look young and virile and strong and then it's downhill ever since then, right? But, but we think to ourselves, I'm full of life. I want to show you the day we died. It's all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. If, you, if you're a Bible reader, come with me to Genesis 2. It's an easy one to find. All the way back at the very start of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Right back at the beginning. The very first man, the very first woman. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Adam ate from the tree. Now, we have a little bit of a problem then because it seems like he didn't die. I mean, God said the day you eat of that fruit you're going to die, but Adam lived another hundred and something years. He had kids, worked the land, and we think, well, what's going on? And so we often try and fudge the word day. We try and say day means something else, right? Maybe on the day you eat of it, you will begin to die. No, God said on the day you eat of it, you will die. Well, maybe day means something else. And in Genesis, it can get a little bit confusing. I think actually what we misunderstand is the word die, not the word day. On the day he ate of that fruit, Adam died. He was cut off from life. He was cut off from the tree of life. I mean, you've kind of got that physical imagery of being removed from life. He was cut off from God, the source of life. He really was, at that point in time, like a cut flower, thrashing around, but already dead. 
And the Bible says very clearly that in Adam, in that moment, was when we died. Not even born yet. However many thousands of years ago it was, we were already dead. I mean, you think of it for a moment, right? You cut a branch off a tree. Maybe it's got the tiniest little bud on the end of it. And you think, well, surely that's going to bring about new life. But no, it's dead, isn't it? It's on a branch that has no life. It has no ability to graft itself back into the tree somehow and continue on with life. The best it can do is blossom, but it's already dead. On that day, we died. This thing that we call life, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it is that you get. Right, Lucy turns 90 this year, I, I heard recently. Right? How, however, whatever your innings might be, whatever this thing is that we call life, it's just that show of the cut flower. On that day, we all died in sin. You see, you and I, we, we have no mechanism to get back to life. We have no ability to somehow reconnect ourselves to that which is going to produce life in us. We don't have life in ourselves. I mean, I, I'll set you a challenge. Well, let's, let's see if you can do it. On the day you die, give yourself another day of life. Okay? You might not be able to do it today. I hope not. <laughs> but, uh, but when that... Look, of course we can't, right? We, but that's the point. We don't have life in ourselves. In fact, you could try it now. Give somebody else who has died life. Well, we can't do that either. We don't have life to give. Again, let's be clear here. The Bible doesn't say that we are dying, you know, we've got, I don't know, faulty DNA or illness is going to take us or an accident or whatever, that, that we're, we're in the slow decline towards death. Physically we may be, but the reality of the Bible is that it's already happened. We are the living dead. Now, come to Ephesians chapter 2. And listen to how Paul puts it as he writes to these Christians. Ephesians chapter 2. Right, it's right there, just in verse 1, he says, You were dead. Right, he's talking to the Christians here. Before Christ, and we'll come to the difference that that makes in a moment, your reality isn't that you were dying, isn't that you were facing death, isn't that one day, no, you were dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were dead in Adam's trespass and sin. And the result of that is that you lived a life of trespass and sin. Again, not just spiritually dead, but actually dead. The flower isn't spiritually dead, but physically alive. It's dead. It's got no life in itself. Such that the life that we live by nature is the life of death. You see, in verse 2, as he continues, your trespass and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. 
We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. You see, the flower, it, it moves, it opens, it blossoms, it, it acts by flesh, by instinct. There's something left in its body that causes it to continue to do that function. There's something left in our flesh. In fact, the only thing that's left is what's in our flesh, such that the way we live is the way of death. Sinful, disobedient, pursuing only that which comes from the body, the, the carnal, there's another word for it, not things that come from life. You want, you want proof of it, all you have to do is look out the window. All you have to do is open the newspaper. All you have to do is see how people treat each other. And it's horrible. I've heard people say, is it so hard for people to treat each other nicely? Yes! In fact, it's not just so hard, it's impossible. Because we're dead and the only things that we have left, the only ability, the only way we know how to live is born out of death. So of course we treat each other like death. It's all we know. We live this life and we think that it's normal. Right? What's the, the old saying? There's only two sure things in life. Death and taxes, we say. Actually, it's not true. We were made for life, not for death. But we've been blinded to think that death is normal. We, we can do amazing things as human beings. I mean, truly mind-boggling things, right? We, we put a, a rover on Mars. Do you know how big the rover is, by the way? I always imagined it being like a, you know... It's the size of a car, right? It's this, this thing that's just up there. We, we sent a space probe that's 18 billion kilometres away from Earth right now and during the week someone made a mistake and sent it the wrong command so that the antenna that points at the Earth veered by two degrees and they lost contact with it. But we can do amazing things. So they had already programmed it that once a week it would rearrange itself and point back at us again. So by Thursday we'll be back in touch again. What a ridiculous... <laughs> We can create symphonies and pieces of art that move you to tears. We can somehow understand quantum physics enough to be able to use it in practical applications. That blows my mind. But what we can't do in all of these things is stop being dead. There's a very basic reality about dead people. Do you know what dead people can do? nothing our, our lives in the end are just a blip in the eons they're not even a snap of the fingers our lives are a nothing our greatest achievements so quickly forgotten how did they build the pyramids we don't know who built it not sure. Why did they build it? We can have a guess, but 
That's the pyramids we're talking about. Enormous things of stone. No idea. Death makes a mockery of it all. Empires come, empires go. Lest we forget, we say. And we have forgotten. God is the only one who remains. We are in nothing. Where are those flowers that I bought that girl 20 years ago? <laughs> I wonder if she kept any, actually. Maybe there's one pressed in a book somewhere. I don't know. I should ask her. That would kind of undo the point of my illustration. The point is they're nothing. They're gone. They're forgotten. We convince ourselves that somehow it's, it's worth something, this life, this fight against decay. But death means that life is meaningless. The, uh, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, our first Bible reading, um, he, he, has, he has, I think, a very realistic view of this. He understands it well. Now, we preached through Ecclesiastes a, a year or two ago, a series well worth going back and listening to. See, the vanity of vanities, he said, meaningless it's all meaningless what does a person gain from all his efforts that he labors at under the sun he said a generation comes and a generation goes we, we are a mist a vapor you walk out of the door and you huff and you think wow isn't that oh, it's gone that's our lives death makes it all pointless i mean you can spend your life amassing riches if you want right you, you, there's there's some really really rich people in the world right now and do you know what happens when they die their kids squander it all <laughs> you can go and look it up online right the people who've inherited billions and within their lifetime it's all gone you're not taking any of it with you you can spend your lifetime creating enormous glorious wonderful pieces of art and then they're just going to get burnt or pulped or lost or stolen. You, you, can, you can spend your life gaining wisdom. What use is that when you dwell in the grave? You could spend your life pouring it into your family, seeking to bless the next generation. And I can pretty much guarantee that within three generations, they won't even remember your name. Each one of us is born into the long queue to the crematorium. Some people jump the queue. <laughs> Most of us just wait our turn. It feels wrong, doesn't it? It, it feels something in that. I mean, that's just a, such an utterly depressing message for a Sunday morning. It, it, it just feels like there must be more. The inside of each one of us, we... We have this tension. After all, we were creatures made for life. We were made in the image of God, not for death. We, we want time. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, our first Bible reading, the reason for that yearning, we saw it in verse 10, verse 11, God has made everything appropriate in its time. We understand time because he has put eternity in our hearts. We, we strive against this sense of death being the end because from the very beginning we have eternity. We have a sense of time and that there's more to life than just life. That there must be a meaning, a purpose, something more. 
but we have no ability to know what that is on our own. It's as if the flower somehow has a bit of a memory of the tree it came from. It has a sense that once upon a time it was more than what it is now. And so as human beings, we reach, we build, we strive, we search, we try and cram something into that void, and yet all that happens is we keep running into that wall that is death, which mocks everything we try. You know, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, as he gets to the end of his book, there's, there's a little glimmer of hope. There's one moment where you think, maybe there's something more. He says this, Ecclesiastes 12 and 13. He says, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Right, here it is. Fear God and keep his commands. Why? For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. For a moment there, we have a little glimmer that maybe there's hope because judgment means that what you do now matters. Do you get that? Judgment means that what I do now isn't just irrelevant. Actually, I'm going to be held to account for it. There'll be, I don't know, reward for good behaviour. There'll be punishment for bad behaviour. I have a reason to act a particular way. There's justice to be held. Maybe there is some sort of meaning and purpose. It's found outside of me. It's found in the God who judges that I need to live a particular way. I'm not just waiting for death and then that's it. There's more to come. But it's a glimmer of hope that fades very quickly, doesn't it? Because who among us is righteous enough to stand in the day of judgment. If what we've been told is that we are dead in trespass and sin, then that day of judgment does not bode well for any of us at all. Now, what do you do with that information? I, I very purposefully wanted to just dwell on that for a bit. We have to understand this well before we move on. You just get depressed by it. <laughs> I'm already dead. I'm lost in sin and trespass. The only way that I can live now is the life of death and at the end I'm going to be condemned for it and I have no escape. Do you ignore it? I mean, that's, that's just what so many people do. You bury your head in the sand. Whatever it might be that that sand is. Eat, drink and be merry, right? At least make the most of this life. Do you deny it? That's a popular one. Can't be true. Can't be real. It's all made up. Fairy tales. Don't believe it. You're a bunch of crackpots. Well, actually, what you really need to do is to keep listening and to keep listening to God. Did you hear the next two words in Ephesians chapter 2? Some of the best words in the whole Bible. Yeah, you ready? Ephesians 2 and verse 5. Sorry, verse... Verse 4, verse 4. Some of the best words in the entire Bible. But God. <laughs> but God. It's a bleak picture. But there's something here. Someone can still act. 
there is somebody who has life, who can give life. In fact, listen to what he says of these Ephesian Christians. But God, what did he do? Who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in trespass. God has acted. Do you notice it's also in the past? We died in Adam. God made us alive out of his own love, out of his own mercy. The one who has life still in himself made us alive in Christ. This is the heart of Christianity, by the way. This this is the gospel, the good news, that Jesus, God's son, died in our place. That death of Adam that belongs to us, Jesus put himself in the way. He said, I will take this death for you. Our representative and our substitute, the one who stood in our place and did what we needed to do for us. But here's the thing, Jesus has life in himself. He is God. So he encounters death and death cannot run over him. In fact, he emerges victorious. Death has no hold on him. He is the one, right? That challenge of mine, after you've died, give yourself another day of life. He's the one who can. After he died, he came to new life. Never to die again. And because he's our representative and our substitute, what happens to him happens to us. He dies our death such that we can gain his life. We can be connected back to life again. Such that, have a look at what he says in verse 6, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Do you think you're going to go to heaven when you die? The only way you get to go to heaven when you die, when when your mortal body finally perishes, is if you're already in heaven now. If you are already connected to Jesus, such that as he has ascended, you have ascended with him. It's why Christians talk about that confidence, that assurance, It's not a thing that, I'm going to be good enough to the end and I know I'm going to... It's got nothing to do with that. Jesus has already taken me there. It's not a question of whether I'll get in or not. I'm already there in Christ Jesus. As in Adam all died, as in Adam we were all cut off, so in Jesus we have been made alive again, grafted back in, if you like. He is the one who could connect us back. And it's all because of his kindness, his generosity. There's the word grace, the word generosity. Right? He, he gave freely, lovingly, willingly that we might receive. And so we get to live a new life. Have a look at verse 8. You are saved by grace, you are saved by God's generosity through faith, through the accepting and believing of his word, 
Not from yourselves, it's God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. The Christian has this new life. We no longer live out of death, we live out of life. It's given by grace, generosity. It's received by faith, we trust his word. And it's lived out in humility, not a life of works that save. Such a shame that so many Australians think Christianity teaches that you're saved because of goodness. They really get it wrong, don't they? Good people end up in hell. That's where good people go. Because they think themselves good, and they're not. It's bad people who end up in heaven. Because there's bad people who come and say, I'm lost. I'm, I'm done for. I've got no hope. And in so doing, they find the God who saves. Works cannot save you. But it's interesting, isn't it? Works are there for us to walk in. We, we now have the beauty of the living flower. Not the cut flower that's on its death, that's already dead, but the living flower that continues to blossom and flourish and bloom and be glorious. Every step of your life, God has something good for you to do if you are somebody who is in Christ. That's a nice thought, isn't it? I used to think that the good works were occasional things, right? This verse, God has created us in Christ Jesus for good works. I used to think, well, you know, maybe next month God will bring a good work for me to do. I'll help the little old lady cross the road, you know? I'll read the Bible with somebody. I'll pray for somebody. I take it this is every single step of our lives God has something good for us to do. Whether it's our own growth in godliness, whether it's our helping others to come to Christ, mature Christians, look after the needy, whatever it might be, at every step, as, as your church finishes and you have a conversation with someone, God's got something good for you to do. Because it's a life of life, not of death. Life is no longer meaningless. The purpose is given by God, not ourselves, that we might walk His path towards the glory that we share with Christ. Now, what are we going to do with this? Five really quick applications. Here's number one. Pray with thanksgiving. We were dead. If you are a Christian person, you were dead. And you've been made alive with Christ. Made alive. He did it by his love, by his mercy, by his power, by his act. How can we not thank him? Secondly, speak with humility. We are beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. We, we have received mercy beyond anything we ever deserved. How can we speak with pride or arrogance or somehow put ourselves... No, speak with humility. Thirdly, live with purpose. God's purpose. He's the one who's made you alive for his own purposes, not for your own. This is hard. This, this is all of life. This is let go of your own dreams and come and ask God what his are. Fourthly, evangelize with confidence. You were dead and God brought you back to life. 
So as you go and share the gospel with dead people, guess what God can do for them? Bring them back to life. No different than what he did for you. It's no harder for him. We think it is. We see people that are anti the gospel, that are hard-hearted or just don't care, and we think, oh, it's so hard for this person to ever be saved. It's no different. Bringing the dead to life is what God does. And so fifthly and finally, if you are here today and you are still dead, you know that you are lost in trespass and sin, you haven't come and found Jesus who gives life, then what you need to do? Actually, nothing. But come and trust Jesus. Entrust yourself to him recognize you're dead and say I, I can't give life i can't earn life would you be so kind as to give it to me knowing that you've come to the god who does exactly that who gives life to the dead let's pray our heavenly father we thank you and praise you that you give life and that you've given us life. We who were lost in sin and trespass, who were lost in Adam's sin even, you came and gave us life. And Father, thank you that you've done it out of your generosity and your kindness, out of your love for us. And we praise you that not only have you given us life, but you've joined us to the Lord Jesus, such that our future is a future of glory. You are so kind and so good. And we praise you for your mercy. Amen.